0: We'll go ahead and get started and uh, people may still be trickling in, Uh, I know we're adjusting our clocks and might have thrown a few people off. We'll go ahead and get started uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning on this wet and rainy day. We're grateful that you allowed us to travel here safely and have enabled us to gather together this morning as your people and as we continue to study uh, your being and who you are we pray that you would be with us this morning won't you open our minds help us to grasp uh, the heights and depths of what your word has to say we pray that you would give us strength Uh, to wrestle with these realities and these truths that are given to us from your word we pray that you be with all those that are still making their way won't you um, bring them to us quickly and safely and may this time be glorifying to you we pray and ask all this in jesus name amen all right so if you went here last week we started looking at the baptist catechism And uh, we're looking at the first question. That's uh, what we spent some of our time last time uh, looking at. We looked at the first half of the first question, or the answer to the first question. And today we hope to get into the second half of that question. Uh, But before we get into the new material, we'll do a bit of recap uh, just to bring us up to speed. But also if you went here last week, it will give you an opportunity to get caught up and uh, we'll start every, every lesson this way, just to refresh our memories. You may recall that last time when we met, I was encouraging us to um, take responsibility or be, take initiative for our own spiritual learning and growth. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is just by reviewing what we learn on Sunday uh, throughout the week, not just Sunday school, but even uh, the sermons that we listen to. If we take some time to review that, uh, even in preparation for the Lord's Day. So if you do that on Saturday, uh, it will help you to come prepared to worship the Lord. But I think it also help you get the most out of our class together. So just a few minutes of review, especially at this point, we only have one question that you've looked at. But you may want to read ahead. You may want to just slowly read through the whole catechism. And that will give you an overview uh, of the whole catechism and the doctrines that are being taught uh, you may also remember that how did an overview for us of the whole catechism, so he broke down the different topics and which questions deal with which topics, and that's also a good uh, guideline to go back to. So, I just want to encourage us um, as we memorize, as we uh, wrestle with these truths, we can also participate in it beyond just this hour of Sunday school that we have together, and I think that way we can all be learning and growing uh, and being encouraged together so you remember that the first question is who is the first and chiefest being who is the first and chiefest being and last week our homework was to try and memorize that if you went here last week that's okay uh, we can we can all say that together just in a moment so who is the first and chiefest being god is the first and chiefest being okay and it's it's easy at this point because most of our answer comes from the question so that's makes it easier for us last week we focused on the first part of that clause uh, god is the first being and uh, we looked at six implications or six ways that we see that god is the first being does anybody remember any one of those six um, ways that we looked at last week and we said what does it mean that god is the first being we looked at six different things First of all. First of all beings. Yes. First of all beings. First cause of all beings. First cause of all beings. That's good. First in respect to Providence. Okay, first in respect to providence. Alright, right. yeah, fifty percent as a group. That's that's good. Right. First in respect to grace. All right. First in respect to grace, alright. First in respect Nothing. Yes. Uh-huh. One more. Love. Love. That's it. First in respect to love. So in considering all those different aspects, we saw that God, uh, you know, he created all things. He was the one who brought everything into existence. There was a point where there was nothing. It was just God. And he spoke everything into existence. And that makes him the first being. Uh, he's also the first cause uh, related to that. And... Um, And all the six that we've mentioned. So I won't go through all six of them, but those are the first uh, aspects that we considered last week. And today we want to focus more on what it means that God is chief, that he is the chiefest being, that he is the chiefest being. And um, we'll spend some time looking at that in a bit more detail today. Just a few things I want to uh, bring out from last week, just by way of clarification. We did say that he's the first being but by implication one could think that God then is just the first of many gods or he's the first of the beings uh, so he's also a created being right when you speak of first you may you may uh, fall into the trap of thinking that he is just one of many gods or he's just one of the many beings that are there but when we speak of God uh, that is not the case God is in his own category because he's uncreated he's the only uh, being who is uncreated and he is the only God there are no other gods so it's not an order of different gods that may follow so we just want to dispel any such idea and, and scripture does that as well he's the only true God and he's the first but there is no other after him and then though we are dealing with some of God's attributes in the first question as we start looking at uh, the doctrine of revelation. Questions seven to nine deal more fully with the doctrines of God. So we're not getting into all of the the attributes of God uh, in this first question, but just a few that particularly uh, relate to Revelation. When we're thinking about general Revelation and special Revelation, we're starting with God and there are some attributes that we ought to consider before we get into looking at his word, uh, what we know about him from his word and in creation itself. Uh, so just just to keep that in the back of your minds, we're not going to deal with all of these attributes right in question one, uh, but question seven through nine, which I believe John will be looking at, will deal with that in more detail. All right, so we've done uh, our memorization of the first question. Looks like we are more or less there. Uh, we said, who is the first and chiefest being and God is the first and chiefest being. And so as we look at this, aspect of the question the second part God being the chiefest being Um, there are about three things that I want us to consider this morning we'll see that from considering this aspect of God being the chiefest being we can look at God's sovereignty uh, his attributes of sovereignty we'll look at God's transcendence and God's eminence and transcendence and eminence are quite related to one another and then from there, we want to go to looking at the relevance to Revelation. Why are these doctrines relevant when we're speaking about Revelation? Uh, and tied in as well is the significance of the incarnation. If God is transcendent and eminent, uh, what, what does the incarnation have to say about those doctrines? And finally, taking a page out of uh, Seth's book, uh, we'll see how this prepares us for worship. Okay, We want to see how this studying God, who we are going to worship, uh, and who we are worshiping even by studying him this morning, um, prepares us for that task. So last week, we said that the language of chiefest is somewhat outdated. Uh, we said the language of chiefest is somewhat outdated. And another clarification on that point is, we may say chiefest is outdated. We don't use that in our common language. We may not say um, this is my chiefest love, if you're speaking about your spouse, for example. That's not the language we use. But when we talk about just the word chief, that's something that we use very commonly. right? We think of a chief executive officer, the CEO, CFO, CIO. Uh, those are terms that are used in an organizational structure. Uh, obviously, we think of the president as commander in chief. Okay, So this is a language that we are familiar with. Uh, it's also a military title, um, Jeremy was bringing me up to speed with that. And and there's some important um, things that we can take away by looking at the chiefs that that operate in our world today. We see that when someone is a chief in whatever institution they represent, they carry some institutional knowledge. And uh, if you want uh, an organization to be functioning well, you don't want the CEO to be constantly rotating, right? If it needs some stability, the CEO needs to be there for a number of years uh, or CFO. So they're, they're high level positions. And so there are some some aspects of that that we see that are derived from the attributes of God himself. Uh, God is one who does not change. He is the chiefest being, but he is one that never changes and never, uh, we, we don't get a new God at any point through creation, right? He is God from beginning to end, uh, into eternity. And so those are some um, ways in which chief is used in our world today, and that kind of helps tune our minds when we think about uh, chiefest and so what the um, the men who put the, the catechism together are, are wanting us to think about is the fact that God is above all created things he is unlike us like we have already seen, he is above and beyond, and that he also rules the world that he has created, and that 's why we will be looking at sovereignty and uh, transcendence in in just a bit uh, in just a moment there so God is the highest and chiefest of all beings we also see the word chief that is used in scripture uh, for example first Peter chapter 5 verse 4 speaks about Jesus as a chief uh, chief shepherd when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory and we also read about the chief priests Um, And we know that chief is a military title, like I've already mentioned. God is one of the names of God that is used, particularly in the Old Testament, is that he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And uh, usually in in the context where God is going to fight for Israel, he is the one who fights Israel's battles. And again, we see that when Israel rejects God as their king, one of the things that they're asking for in the earthly king is for someone to go and fight their battles. They reject God who fights for them. And in in his place, they want someone who will fight for them, who will fight their battles for them. So that's how scripture uses chief. Uh, But coming now to sovereignty. So when we speak about God being the chiefest being, the first uh, doctrine that we want to consider here is God's sovereignty. And again, this is related to what we looked at last week. We said that he is first in way of sovereignty, and now we're going to go into more detail considering God's sovereignty. When we think of God's sovereignty, what comes to your mind? What, what comes to your mind when you think about God being sovereign? His decree working out perfectly in all things. Mm-hmm. Okay, his decrees. So his decrees are being worked out perfectly. His point and his control. over everything. Right, okay. His plan, uh, how he controls everything, the big and the small. His rule over the whole universe. Right. So we do think of, even in terms of earthly kings, though we don't have many uh, countries that have kings and queens nowadays, even with Great Britain, it's uh, just a, a title in many, in many respects. But we think of a ruler who is sovereign over a particular land or a nation, but God is sovereign over the entire universe. He governs all things. Um, His decree is carried out, but he is also the most powerful. And if we connect this to creation, uh, God is the one who created all things. So everything that has been made is subject to his authority. Uh, Nobody is outside his jurisdiction, uh, if you want to put it in that language. He is the supreme power or supreme authority. And as we will be considering a bit later on, All other powers and all other authorities are subject to him. They are delegated powers and delegated authorities. So God has absolute power and absolute authority over every land, over every created being in the entire universe. And so he rules as king in the most absolute sense of the word. And all things are dependent on him, not just for creation, but also for their existence. And so you can see the implications of this on the doctrine of revelation. When you get into God's word and what it, what it has to say to us, we see why uh, the scriptures are necessary for every living being, because it's what God has decreed. We, nobody can say, um, though people do this in the practical sense, but nobody can say, because I'm not a Christian, I would just ignore uh, what the Bible has to say about the way I should live and not have any consequences. Okay, a lot of people live that way. A lot of people ignore the Bible's commands in in their entirety and live in rebellion to it. Um, But they're still going to suffer the consequences. On the day of judgment, they will be held to account to the same standards that we are held because God is the creator of all things. And so we see how starting by this point helps us as we later on will consider what is the content of Scripture. Uh, Who is who is to use uh, the scriptures, as the later on uh, questions will come to. So the verse that's uh, supplied for us by the Catechism is Psalm 97, verse 9. Psalm 97, and verse 9. And uh, it reads, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So in this uh, psalm, and the psalms have a lot to say about uh, God's sovereignty as the supreme ruler and king over all things. Uh, We see from this psalm that he is above the whole earth. He is the ruler over all things and he is exalted above all gods. And again, we shouldn't take that verse to mean that there are other gods. But we know that the nations around Israel had their own man-made gods, idols that they had fashioned with their own hands and they believe them to have power but what the psalmist is declaring is that God uh, Yahweh is the God uh, who is above all gods he is the only true god as the scriptures elsewhere attest and then we can turn to 1 chronicles uh, chapter 29 verses 11 to 12 and if I can have a volunteer to read that if you're there you can read that for us so 1 chronicles chapter 29 Verses 11 to 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head of all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Okay, so we see here in Chronicles, uh, God's glory, God's uh, majesty being declared. Uh, we, we read about his greatness and his power. We, we read about the extent of his rule, uh, that he rules over the heavens and the earth, and that all that is is his. Everything that exists belongs to him. And the kingdom belongs to our Lord. Everything that exists comes from Him. And so that, that helps us to see how the scriptures are speaking of God as a sovereign ruler of the whole universe. <clears throat> then we can also turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 26. Uh, someone could please read that for us. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 26. observing in Athens uh, the idol worship and when he's finally stirred up he speaks to the men of Athens and he addresses them uh, saying you have all these inscriptions but here let me tell you about the God who created all things. He created the very materials that you use to fashion these idols that you are creating and then later on we'll come to verses 27 and following where he uses one of their own philosophers to show that in him we live and move and have our being so again looking at the verses we just read from acts we see that god not only creates everything but he determines the specific location of where we are to live what we are to do and uh, this has very practical implications for us we have great comfort because we know that god is sovereign over our lives he rules over all the details where we're going to work who we marry Uh, which school we go to which country we live in so on and so forth and um, so if we're trying to determine what God's will is for us a lot of the time we uh, we can be prone to reading into other factors or other signs that we look out for but we we ought to follow God's word Uh, he has revealed for us what he wants us to do and so we have his will that is decreed to us that is revealed to us but there's also his will that we do not know uh, in terms of uh, what is going to happen on your way home this afternoon that we will not find in the scriptures uh, but we know that God knows everything from beginning to the end <clears throat> and so when we blur those distinctions of God's will uh, we can we can fall into uh, trouble i also just want to read psalm 22 verse 28 uh, for kingship belongs to the lord and he rules over the nations he rules over all the nations <clears throat> and the number of psalms like i said that attest to the same reality about God's kingship. And uh, we wouldn't turn, won't turn to all of them, but you could look at verse of Psalm 47, Psalm 50, uh, Psalm 95, Psalm 115, 135, 145. So all of those psalms, and even more, speak about God's sovereignty. <coughs> so from the verses we've seen and what we're discussing already um, This morning we see that God's sovereign rule is it's universal. Uh, It it extends over all creatures, so from the caterpillar to the seraphs, uh, God rules over all those created beings. It is absolute. Uh, There is no one that can say, "I don't fall under subject to God's authority." Uh, It's also immutable. And again, that's another great comfort that we can have from there. I remember growing up. I I think I was blessed in a in a way that. There was very little change in my life, so I went to one school for, for primary education and one school for secondary. Um, all the people in my life that held positions of authority seemed to keep their positions, and for a while I used to think things don't change. And then when I started seeing like one of my favorite uh, teachers in school was moving on, I got quite shaken up thinking I thought this person would stay there forever. Um, so. We can, we can look to worldly powers and authorities for our comfort, uh, whether that's in positions of government or in, in an institution. You can feel like my job is secure as long as this CEO is in this position uh, or this president is, on, um, is in the White House. I'm going to be comfortable. But we are reminded that God is immutable. He does not change. And we can take great comfort from this, that he is um, sovereign over all things and he doesn't change his mind. And and we ought to be comforted by this reality. So we see that when we're speaking of God's sovereignty, we've already talked about this a little bit, but we have his sovereign will and we have his sovereign power. What he determines to do that, he does. Um, But we also see that his power is over all things that are created, all things in the universe. And so he is the absolute, he is the ultimate cause of all things. So we've talked about uh, the applications of this, uh, how we can com- take great comfort in our lives, knowing that God is sovereign. When we go through difficult situations in our lives, uh, circumstances that we can't explain, the death of a loved one, a loss of a job, um, maybe even not passing an exam in, in school that you are looking forward to, or <clears throat> different family dynamics that we struggle to understand or explain, we can rest in God's sovereignty. Uh, Again, we see the scriptures allow us to wrestle with God in in asking questions. We are allowed to go to him as our heavenly father and and cry out to him and say, I do not understand why this had to be this way or why this happened this way. Um, God invites us to reason with him. And yet he also wants us to know that he is sovereign. He hasn't declared, he hasn't revealed everything to us. At some point we are to take comfort in him. But we know that while we can fault our earthly rulers and um, single out their shortcomings and failures in ruling over us, when we come to God, we know that he is infinite in wisdom, in love, in grace, and in mercy. Um, This is the God who is sovereign over the whole universe. And that should bring us great joy. We have our own problems with the rulers over us. Uh, Nobody is perfect in that sense, but God is And so it's a great comfort that he is the one we subject ourselves to, or we are subjected to. But we we also want to think about this attribute of God's sovereignty. It is one of his communicable attributes. And that means that we, in some form or shape, uh, can exercise sovereignty in the rule uh, that God places us over. Uh, So whether that's in positions of authority, in an organization, in a family structure... Um, Within a church, we have elders, we have our pastor. Each of these uh, exercise authority within a specific domain. And if they go outside that domain, it becomes overreach. It's outside their jurisdiction. But we must remember that all this authority that we speak about is delegated authority. So if you're a parent and you're called to discipline your child and to raise them up in the instruction and training of the Lord, uh, you know that you're doing this as a as one who has delegated authority from God. And you must remember that these children are a gift from God that God has entrusted to you for a certain number of years uh, in which you are to, um, to exercise that authority. So we must remember that we are not the ultimate sovereigns. And so even when we require uh, obedience from children or from subordinates, we must remember that we are not an ultimate authority the way God is. But we must also remember that we have to give an account for the rule that we exercise. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, we don't have to turn there right now, just read it for us. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, uh, often called the cultural mandate. God blesses them and he says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, (coughs) excuse me. Of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, uh, Later on in Genesis in chapter two, verses 15 and 19, we also read more <coughs> about the similar uh, point that God has delegated authority after he creates man, he brings the animals that he has created to Adam, for Adam to name them. So God first of all created Adam, and then he gives authority, He delegates authority to Adam to name the animals. Uh, We have a responsibility, as we see from Genesis 1.28, uh, to have dominion, to subdue the world that we have created. So we are to take care of the world that we have uh, been put into. And we are to have dominion over the created order of things. Are there any questions on this part before we move on to considering his transcendence uh, as it pertains to him being the chiefest being? Any questions? or even thoughts that you might have pertaining to God's sovereignty. Anybody is free to talk, by the way. Okay. all right. Well, I had a professor who used to say, silence can either mean everybody understood or everybody's lost. So I hope it's the former and not the latter. Well, <clears throat> we must move on now um, to consider God's transcendence, and as we consider God's transcendence, um, it's all kind of tied in as we think about Him, His eminence and His omnipresence. Okay, so we're we're here. We're talking about God's um, <coughs> attributes pertaining to how He relates to space. We know that God is beyond space and time. Uh, he is uh, eternal. He has existed forever, uh, but we also see that He is not contained by any space. And yet, at the same time, we're able to say that there is no space that is not occupied by God. Um, At first glance, that might seem mind-boggling or it might seem like a contradiction. How can God be above all of creation and not constrained to a particular space and yet we can say that God is everywhere? Does anybody want to give that a shot? How can we say that God is above everything and in everything? I'm sorry? He's not material, so it's not the same kind of... Yes, okay. Right, so he's not material. God is is not... uh, He doesn't have a body like man, right? God is a spirit. Now, disclaimer, I'm a fan of the children's catechism, so you are free to use it. Um, I think if you are able to take a doctrine such as transcendence, omnipresence, um, eminence, and break it down so a child can understand it, then you are winning Right? You should be able to take these big, profound doctrines and explain it to a three-year-old, um, and, and they should be able to, to say something of that. I know they won't understand all the implications, all the philosophical uh, side of it, but <clears throat> it's also a good evangelistic tool if you're talking to someone who is not churched, uh, who has no idea of these doctrines, and you're able to very simply say God is a spirit, um, he doesn't have a body like man, And then you can build on that. But if we start at a basic level, I think it can be helpful in some situations. But don't let me stop you from reading the more hefty uh, matters of theology. So anybody else? I had put a question out. So how can it be that God is transcendent and eminent at the same time? Right. mind-boggling right <laughs> okay hopefully we can spend a bit of time uh thinking through this and let's begin by looking at psalm 139 verses 7 to 12 anybody can read that for us it'll be great psalm 139 verses 7 to 12 where shall i go from your spirit where shall i flee from your presence if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed a Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be nights, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for the darkness is as light as you. Hmm. Thank you. <clears throat> so we see that just from this psalm um, uh, one of many places in the scriptures that speak about God being everywhere there is no way that we can run to that God will not see us there is no way that we can flee um, that we'll be out of the presence of God and uh, so it's interesting that Jonah fled from God he was trying to flee from the presence of God and God sends a great fish um, you cannot escape from the, go- the presence of God but since we are considering God being the chiefest being, we want we to think about what that means. He is, uh, he is Lord over all creation, and because he existed, it's, it's, it's necessary that because um, God is the first cause of all things, he be outside of creation, in a sense. He, is, he can not be part of what he has created. Um, that just leads us into all kinds of philosophical problems and contradictions. So he must be outside of the creation in that sense. That's why he is not a created being. He does not change. He is the sustainer of the universe. Um, And so when we speak of him being transcendent above all, we we speak of how he is above in that sense, outside of the created order. But we've seen, um, like we read in Acts chapter 17 earlier on, that it is in him, this is verse 28, Acts 17, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Um, again, speaking to the reality that it is within the presence of God that we must exist. <coughs> so we, mo- we want to hold these two doctrines um, together as we, as we study. We want to realize that he is far above uh, our comprehension If we look at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, and um, I'll ask someone to read that for us in just a moment, but in that passage, we see that it speaks about God's wisdom being beyond our comprehension. Uh, We elsewhere read uh, about God's plans being above our plans, his ways being above our ways. And so he, in some ways, we cannot fully comprehend God. Uh, He has revealed himself to us in the scriptures, and we have spent centuries and thousands of years studying the nature of God and his personhood. But we can't fully comprehend it. And even when we see him face to face in eternity, when we worship him, there will still be uh, something of what we cannot comprehend about God's being. That's just how awesome our God is. But going to Romans 11, if anybody is there, you can read that for us. Romans 11, verses 33... Two thirty six. that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. So this tells us something, um, this passage of scripture tells us something of, of the knowledge of God and that we can't fully comprehend who God is. And yet there is much that he has revealed to us. And you see again the connection to what we are studying. If we're going to be studying God's word and what he has revealed to us, the first question must be, can we know God? Um, The the third question that we will get to later on is, how may we know there is a God? So that question is assuming that we can know there is a God, right? We can know there is a God. And some people then would say, if God is transcendent, then we can't know him. He is beyond comprehension. He is way above uh, our reach in that sense. But we see that what Romans 11 is talking about is it's in terms of his ways, his knowledge. But elsewhere, uh, we'll look at some scripture in a moment that talks about God's revelation to us. He has revealed himself to us and we can know him. We can know what he has revealed to us in creation. And so when we think about... um, Transcendence and eminence, we we ought to come to the doctrine uh, of the incarnation. And I won't spend much time there, just safe to uh, gloss over it briefly because we have looked at it in the recent past. Um, Consider that God being this transcendent being, uh, being our creator God who takes on the human flesh and he dwells among us as Emmanuel, God with us, he tabernacles uh, with us right? And after his ascension, he gives us his Holy Spirit. So God, who in a sense was inaccessible in some form, actually came down. He condescends to our level. And as we think about the implications of this, we see how God's love is manifested for us. He did not remain distant from us. Again, we last time looked at the eras of deism, uh, for example, or pantheism, where those are two extremes that we can get into when we're considering these doctrines. Um, Deism would would consider God creating things and then leaving them to go on by themselves. He is not uh, involved in creation. That is not who our God is. And then pantheism takes the doctrine of God's eminence and says then everything is God, right? God is in everything, so then we can worship all that God has created Those are two errors that we want to um, avoid. But rather, what we do see is that God becomes man. He takes on the human flesh and he dwells among us. And then he dies for us on the cross that we might be reconciled to God. So God, though he is transcendent, he is above and far beyond our understanding, but also our reach in some sense. He is very much close to us. And this is the God... Uh, that we come to worship. This is a God that we commune with and we know of, a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And that is very important, I think, when we're thinking about, about these realities, about these doctrines, um, that unlike other religions or other philosophies where we would look at God as one who does not want to be approached or should not be approached by man, God is very much interested in communion with us Uh, That is why we come to meet with him this morning. This is why we go uh, into the worship service to worship our God. And he has made a way for us to do this. And um, we we haven't really spoken much about his omnipresence, but it ties in again the fact that he is not contained, but he is present in every place. So omnipresence would uh, would stipulate that God is present wherever you go. Uh, Even we read earlier on There is no place, even Sheol, where you can't go to where he will not be present, which is something that can, you know, is mind-boggling. So you're telling me that God is going to be present uh, in hell? Yes, in judgment, he will be present, uh, vetting out his justice um, through his created means. Any questions before we move forward and wrap up? Right. Feel free to stop me at any point if you need to ask um, me or need me to clarify anything that I have said so far. So we've already looked at some of the implications for the doctrine of Scripture and uh, Revelation, uh, that the need for God's self-revelation is evident. Right As we study how God is the first and chiefest being, we can see that if we are to know anything about God, he must condescend to our level that we may be able to Understand, and anything that we speak of God uh, is more like babblings, like a a baby who speaks, and yet God um, puts up with us in that sense. Uh, It's like a child who hasn't really learned how to speak yet, and he babbles. The parent knows when he's saying water, whereas to another uh, person it may seem like they just, you know, are just babbling. And so, too, as as a father in that situation, wouldn't say until you say water. Until you pronounce it, I'm not giving you any water. So to our heavenly Father, though we babble when we speak in um, human terms, he has loved us and he makes a way for us to uh, commune with him and to know him in a real way. Uh, What we know of him is true, as scripture has revealed to us. And so he speaks speaks to us in a language that we can understand. And because God is sovereign, because he is the creator and the ruler of all things, then what he has to say to us in his word is important to us. We ought to obey it and we ought to live by it because he has created us and all that we see around us and the the spiritual realm that he has created. So as we... Uh, wrap up here and we go to worship let us remember that this is the God that we come to worship a God who is the creator the first cause the chiefest of all beings and yet he has uh, come to dwell among us because he loved us and he sent his son to die for us and we can have communion with him may we worship him being filled with these truths and these realities uh, this morning if there are no questions uh, or any comments, then we will um, we'll close in prayer. Any comments or questions, finally? Right, so for next week, um, since we do homework and preview and review and all of that, next week we'll be looking at the second question, which is, ought everyone to believe there is a God? Ought everyone to believe there is a God? And the answer to that question is, everyone ought to believe there is a God, and it is their great sin and folly who do not. So that's what we'll be considering, not next week, the week after that, because next week we have Pastor Tiago with us. Um, And so the the week after that, we'll look at question two. But remember to keep working on memorizing the first question and more if you're able to do that. Um, I'll ask uh, Jeremy, if you could please pray for us.